believe this is the message of the hour. Hebrews 2, verse number 1. Word of God says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. That really is an exhortation that you really need to pay attention and you really need to do something about what you're hearing. Lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders, with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to His own will. The Word of God says, How shall we escape, in verse number 3, if we neglect so great salvation? If the Lord will help me this morning, it's in my heart that I want to try to expound this and preach to you on the subject of neglecting so great a salvation. And I'll look at three aspects of this very quickly this morning. The Lord will give me liberty to. And the first thing that I want us to notice is the greatness of the salvation. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15, the Word of God says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm talking to you first of all about the greatness of the salvation. There's something real special being taught here to Hebrew Christians that understood the law of Moses and understood the Old Testament tabernacle and the sacrifices of the tabernacle and of the temple. And there's something that's real important that I see about the greatness of this salvation. And the greatness of this salvation provides a friendship. And it's because of this that Jesus Christ has given me an open invitation to come to His throne anytime I ever want to come. He's my friend. I can go there. I can talk to Him because He's my friend. He's my brother. He's my lover. I can't explain all that, but I get awful aggravated at this pharisaical crowd around of fundamental so-called Baptists this morning that have the idea that God is sitting on a throne somewhere with a big old stick just waiting to bust you in the head every time you mess up. I was in Walmart the other day and I saw a fundamental independent Baptist preacher from another area, another place, another town. And I stood there and talked to him for a minute or two and I was consciously aware I wasn't dressed for church. I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. But I noticed as we were talking and I noticed the first thing and Brother Ricky, this is a spirit a demon spirit that gets off on men and gets off on women. And I noticed that spirit as he stood and talked to me and Sister Lord. He was looking me up and down. You know what he was doing, Miss Diane? He was judging me based on his ideas of how he thought a preacher ought to be dressed out in public. 
looking me up and down. I'm going to tell you what, that crowd right there is absolutely an abomination. They come, hey, listen, that crowd's got the idea that it's all a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts and regulations and they'll thumb their nose at folks that's got a television or folks that's got internet and they judge themselves among themselves and the Word of God said they're not wise. Listen, I'm going to tell you what, anybody that's got a heart to hear the Word of God's welcome around here and I ain't going to stand at the door and look you up and down and see how you're dressed before I let you come in. You understand what I'm talking about? I'm talking about this crowd that sent a bunch of folks to hell. I I heard one time a a Baptist preacher, so-called wife, got down in the altar with the lady that was praying, Brother James, trying to get saved. Heart broke, weeping tears in the altar. Pastor's wife knelt down beside her and said, now if you're willing to give up wearing britches, God will save you. Foolishness. But pharisaical foolishness, Brother Jesse. And that won't get you one bit closer to God. And that leads me to believe, Brother James, a lot of them folks don't have a friend. They don't understand what I'm even talking about. It's like they got an overlord over them just ready to smack them down every time they do something wrong. And then they get around other folks and they begin to judge themselves by the little regulations and rules and the do-nots of their little Baptist clique. Listen, I got news for you. I ain't interested in that mess. And if you are, you're probably at the wrong spot. (laughs) Y'all know that. I'm going to tell you what, that ain't how this thing works because I've seen them. I've seen two individual families in one little rinky-dink town in the state of Kansas. Son, I'm going to tell you, they'd walk right, talk right, spit white. Them ladies, they wouldn't have thought about wearing a pair of breeches if you'd have put a gun to their head, Brother Jesse. But I watched two of them, two pastor's wives in the same rinky-dink little town get involved in internet relationships and run off with some other man. Now, let me tell you, what would you rather have? Would you rather have somebody a little rough shot on the outside, or would you rather have somebody that's got everything just right on the outside, but inside their hearts as wicked as the devil? Well, I'd rather have somebody that's a little rough cut on the outside, Brother Tim, and had a tender heart. Ain't that right? Ain't that right? Well, I tell you what, God knows me, and the Word of God said, I got a friend that's been tempted the same way I've been tempted, and he understands me. He understands my afflictions. The Word of God said, He knows my frame, and He remembers that I'm dust, and God's not just sitting on the throne waiting to smack me in the head every time I mess up. Well, I got a friend. I got a friend that loves me, and I can go to him, Brother James, and he gave me an invitation, set my doors open. Son, anytime you want to come in, come talk to me. Hebrews chapter 10, turn with me in verse number 21. Hebrews 10, 21, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse number 20. And Hebrews chapter number 10 says, By new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. You see, what a lot of folks don't understand this morning is the Old Testament. As those sons of Aaron and that Levitical priesthood went in and out of the temple, it went in and out of the tabernacle. 
There was something that separated them from the holiest of all, and it was a veil. It was a middle wall of partition. And Brother James, every time those Levitical priests walked in to put the bread on the table of shoe bread or to light the candlestick, they saw that curtain as a reminder every day that there's something that stands in their way that keeps them from getting to God. But the word of God said that veil was the flesh of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And it's a picture when the New Testament says the temple veil was rent in twain from top to bottom. That was Christ on the cross of Calvary. And when his body was beaten and bruised and hung on that Calvary's cross up there, you know what that did? That made a way for me to be able to get into the throne room of God. I got a friend. In John 15, 13, the Word of God says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends. And if you do whatsoever I command you, henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. What Jesus said, if a man hires you to work for him, it ain't none of your business what he's doing. Jesus said, I ain't going to treat you like I'm your Lord. As far as a master that you're serving under, he said, well, I'm going to treat you like a friend. And the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard of my father, I've made known unto you. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, whatever I hear from my father, I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm going to fellowship with you. I'm going to let you know what I'm talking about. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Boy, I ain't never been able to see good. And when I was in school, there's a whole lot of times they was choosing up for ball teams. But Tim, I wasn't in the front of the line to get chose. But I thank God about 20 years ago over on the Fair Plains Road, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, picked me to be on his team. Go figure that. He put me on his team. He said, I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. That your fruit should remain and whatsoever you should ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. I got such a good friend that he told me, if you need something, just ask my daddy. And on my behalf, he's going to give it to you because he knows we're friends. Hey, listen, I got a friend. I got a friend, brother. That wasn't what I was looking for, but that's what I got. I didn't understand all that stuff. All I understood was the regulations of church and religion and being a Baptist. I didn't understand I was getting a friend. I'll tell you what else I got. I'm, you, I'm talking about the greatness of the salvation. You get a friend. They didn't know anything about that in the Old Testament. Well, I know now. I'll tell you something else. They didn't know nothing about the greatness of that salvation was forgiveness. We're in Hebrews chapter number 10, verse number 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, but not the very image of things, can never, with those sacrifices which were offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. But then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. 
Verse number 11 in Hebrews chapter 10 says, And every high priest, every priest, standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, who? Jesus. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, how long? Forever. Sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected, how long? Forever. Them that are sanctified. You see, when God gave me forgiveness, it's not like in the Old Testament. When they went to make a sacrifice or an offering for sin on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, one time a year, the high priest would go into that sanctuary, would go into that holiest of all and place blood on the mercy seat for the sins of the people. But guess what happens next year, Brother Ricky? He's got to go back and do it all over again. Because that sin ain't gone nowhere. It's still there for a reminder. And it's still in their conscience. And their conscience ain't never been cleansed. And all they can think about is next year, we got to go back and get some blood put on that thing again. But you know what the Word of God said? The Word of God said when Jesus went in and put his blood on that mercy seat, that sin didn't just get the little bit of interest paid on it. He paid the whole thing. He paid the debt. You know what? A lot of folks have a grand misunderstanding this morning that if you get saved, it's just that God saves you of your sins. Well, that's good, and that sounds real good, Miss Brittany. But you see, that's not it. It's not that when I got saved, God just forgave me of my sins, although he did. God forgave me for being a sinner. That's real different. Now, sometimes I'm just, I'm, sometimes I'm a nut. There ain't no telling what's going to come out of my mouth, and y'all know that. Now, Brother Mark, if you was working around me, and you had somebody new around me, and you said, now, my pastor, sometimes he's just a nut. And if I was to say something real cutesy and try to be funny and just say something kind of off the wall to somebody, does what you said, he's a nut, does that excuse me for one thing I say or for four things I say? Or for 400 things I say. Or for 1,400 things I say. If you just say, well, he's a nut, there ain't no telling what he's going to say. Guess what? Brother Tim, that covers the whole thing. Not just one. And when God forgave me of my sins, Brother James, he didn't just forgive one or two or 6,000 or 800 or 454 sins. He forgave me for being a sinner. Well, that'll give you a whole different look at that thing. I got forgiveness. In Hebrews ten sixteen. this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission, that word means forgiveness of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that took my sin away. How long did he take it away for? Forever. What kind of salvation did he buy? Eternal salvation. What kind of salvation is that? Forever salvation. 
You see, what a lot of folks are thinking is that that uh, you make some kind of profession and then when you die, you get eternal life. Brother James, eternal life started for me 20 years ago. I'm not waiting to get eternal life. Miss Shauna already got eternal life. And if God ever takes it away from me, guess what? It wasn't eternal to start with. It was temporary. But he don't give temporary life. He gives eternal life. Because he forgives you for being a sinner. Ain't that good? I got a forever forgiveness. And with a forever forgiveness comes a future. In Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He went out not knowing whether he went. He didn't know where he was going. But by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him. Of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him who God faithful, who hath promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, that means out of Abraham, because of faith sprang even of one, and him as good as dead. That means he is old. He is too old to have children. So many as the stars, the sky, and multitude. That's the Jewish nation. And of the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. That's saved Gentiles. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of the country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity, have returned. But now they desire better country, that is a heavenly Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. You see, we're so attached at every corner to this world, Brother James, that we as God's little children very easily forget that we wasn't prepared to stay on this planet forever, not like this. God's prepared a city. It's called New Jerusalem. We have a lot of misconceptions and a lot of misunderstandings about heaven, but I'm going to live one day in the New Jerusalem. I will be part of that city, and I don't understand all that entails. Maybe God let me study that out and preach it for you one day, but Brother Mark, I know it's something wonderful. First Corinthians fifteen nineteen, Paul said, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. You see, this world's full of heartaches and toils and troubles and trials, and I'm seeing a lot of people there living for this world. And sometimes I do get caught up in this world, but I, I'm I'm not of this world. And I'm not going to stay in this world because i got a future. I've given you one point this morning about the greatness of the salvation. 
But such a great salvation can be greatly offended. Back in Hebrews chapter 2 verse number 1 where we begin. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Lest at any time we should let them slip. For the word spoken by angels was steadfast. That means the laws of God were given by through the mediation of angels. And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? The word neglect by definition means to omit or to leave out by carelessness or by design. Just to leave it alone and leave it out. Neglect oftentimes is a product of so many other things holding a higher degree of interest or importance than the thing that's neglected. And the thing neglected is simply forgotten, overlooked, passed over, or put off to another time. Brother Jesse, if you want a good example of what neglect is, you think about that old Mustang sitting in your neighbor's yard out there. That that might make a nice showpiece for somebody. But Jimmy, you've seen them all over the country just sitting somewhere in the woods. Honeysuckle vines growed up all around them. And somebody said, one day I'm going to take some time and fix up that old car. But you know what they do? Other things take precedence. They don't have time. They got other things to do. And they let it sit and rust and rot down. And the Word of God said, if you're not careful, if you don't take heed to the preaching of the Word of God, if you don't take heed to what God's Word's saying to you, men will neglect the Word that's given them and neglect the salvation that God's given. Men get too busy and too many things on their mind. Lust rules their heart. Jesus Christ and his salvation is forgotten about. Bible repentance this morning requires a willingness to surrender everything you got without reservation. And that's why most folks are going to die and go to hell because most folks are not willing to surrender anything, let alone everything. But I'm going to give you an illustration this morning. You stay with me just another minute or two. This may help you. You listen to what I'm saying this morning. If you imagine sometime back around, maybe, maybe around the very early 1900s, you find somebody, some poor dirt farmer like my grandparents were on both sides. They got some little old piece of ground and they're trying to scratch a living out of that thing and try to grow some corn. Got a little old chicken coop over here and got a little old tomato patch over here. And they're trying to grow enough corn, Brother James, to to feed some old mule or something to pull a plow with. They may have a beef cow somewhere down the road. And they're just trying to scratch out a living and do the best they can. Brother James, they're biting their fingernails and they're wondering about is there going to be enough rain? Is their crops going to come in? Is there going to be an early frost? And is everything going to mess up in their whole world? Is in a turmoil just wondering. And you imagine some geologist comes from some faraway big city and says, Mr. Farmer, I've got something I need to talk to you about. We've done some geological studies and we've done some preparations and we've been studying some things and we're convinced there's oil under your property. Could you imagine 
the tragedy of that old dirt farmer living all of those years on that piece of ground, Brother Jesse, never knowing that just underneath the surface is something that would make him unbelievably wealthy. It's been there the whole time, Miss Diane. He didn't know about it. But now Mr. Geologist has come and said it's there. And a few days later, a man from the oil company comes and says, Sir, we're interested in drilling on your property. We don't want anything you got up topside. We just want what's down under, and we're going to pay you well through it. You're going to be a millionaire. And when it's all over with, everything on top of the ground still yours, and you can still keep it. We're just going to get down in there. I got an aunt on some property, Sister Lori's aunt actually out in Texas, and she talked to us about selling us this property real uh, real cheap. It's got a 20-acre lake on it. I don't know how many acres there are, a bunch of it. It ain't worth 15 cents. And she said, if I sell it to you, I want to keep the mineral rights. And you see this geologist and these old people come, and they say, Mr. Farmer, all we want is what's in the ground. Mr. Farmer goes to thinking about that thing. Goes to thinking about that thing. Like a whole lot of Baptists go to thinking about things. Like a whole lot of folks that hear the truth and hear the word of God and hear the offer. Think about a lot of things. And they get to thinking about it. Mr. Old Man comes back and he's got contracts and a great big old checkbook. Brother James and they look at Mr. Geologist and Mr. Old Man. They'd say, sir... We know there's, you know, there's something great here. We know there's a lot to be gained. But you know, I've been living here. My daddy lived here. My granddaddy lived here before I did. And you know, back years ago, my granddaddy used to have a watermelon patch down here in the bottom. Boy, I remember, Brother Mark, sometimes when my granddaddy was still alive and in the hot summertime in July and August, he'd go down there and pick one of them watermelons off the vine, take it down to the creek, let it get good and cool. And, and me and Grandpappy would sit on the porch and eat watermelons, spit seeds out in the yard. And Mr. Geologist and Mr. Oilman, I, I believe it'd be all right for you to drill in the ground, but just don't get over there and mess up the watermelon patch. And you know, my wife's got a little old tomato patch over here. And in the summertime, I just love them tomatoes. I mean, them big old, big old juicy tomatoes. You slice them thing, one slice and fill up a whole piece of soft light bread and dob that thing full of mayonnaise and some salt and pepper. And if you was my wife, you'd put a little sugar on. And I just love him. And Mr. Oil, man, you write a check, do whatever you want to do. But when you do it, if y'all would, please, just don't mess with that little old tomato patch over there. How stupid. You said, Preacher Mike, nobody could be that stupid. Oh, really? Oh, really? That men would neglect so great salvation that they would have an opportunity to have a friend. They would have an opportunity to have forgiveness. They would have an opportunity to have forever. But they say, God, there's something in my heart. And God, you can have all the rest, but leave that little patch alone. It's a great salvation, but it can be greatly offended. Men, because of their pride and arrogance and ignorance and just plain out stupidity. I can't even imagine somebody, Brother Jesse, 
Can you boys not imagine if somebody came by here today and said, Preacher Mike, we're absolutely certain that just under the, under the crust of the ground on your little piece of property here, there's gold. Brother Mark, if somebody, somebody, some reliable source that I could count on told me there was gold in here just as soon as we said to dismiss in prayer, they shovels on the other side of that building over there. And me and listen, I'd share it with you. The rest of you fellows, we'd be, we'd dig, we'd look like gophers that been all over this hill. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Yeah. Ain't that natural that if you knew something was down there, brother, you'd do whatever you had to do to get to it. People say, oh, there ain't no gold in there. Well, this book ain't wrote by no geologist. (laughs) The Word of God said, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. This ain't somebody this ain't some scientist word. This is God's word. God made a promise this salvation is real. And a great salvation can be greatly offended by neglect. And a great salvation that's neglected has great consequences. And Paul said, how shall we escape? Escape what? The wrath of God. The wrath of God. Brother Mark, what a tragedy for some old dirt farmer to live and die on a piece of ground that he tried to grub out a living, starve his family to death and do without And never know, Brother James, that just under the surface of that soil there was a gold mine or an oil field. What a tragedy. I'll give you a greater tragedy for them to die a grubbing out of existence on that old piece of dirt, Brother Jesse, the whole time knowing it was just under the surface. And Brother James, they just would never do anything about it. Just neglect it. Just forget it. One day I'll get to it. One day I'll do something about it. And what I'm talking about to a lost man today, when you neglect this salvation, God gives you an opportunity and you begin to come up with excuses why God, I I don't want to deal with this and I don't want to deal with that. And God's offering you such a sweet salvation. One day you'll wake up screaming in the regions of the damned. And I don't say this with any delight this morning, but I say this with great honesty, with gravity and sincerity, Brother James, they get what they deserve. They get what they deserve. God's just. You say, why such a harsh punishment? Because it was such a great salvation. But Mark, to be forgiven... I got some things in my past that I don't want everybody to know about and I don't want to have to deal with and I don't want God to have to judge me over Miss Diane. But guess what? I'm not going to have to. But if you're lost, friend, it's all coming out. And one day at the great white throne judgment of God, it'll all come out.
and God will judge you and God will give you your degree of punishment in the lake of fire based based on how much of this word God got to you to show you what a great salvation it was. But you see, a lost man you think ought to understand that they're going to go to hell. The word of God said the judgment is not going to come, Miss Megan, because men stood out on a mountain somewhere, Brother Ricky, and threw rocks at the sky and cursed God. No. Because you neglected him. You passed him over. You left him behind. And you counted other things more important than him. Not because a man's a sex pervert and a child molester. Not because a man's a rapist. Not because a woman is some kind of deviant and an axe murderer. But because they neglected when God gave them the truth. They neglected to do anything about it. And let me help you out, child of God. You can neglect this salvation too, friend. A whole lot of things get in our life. A whole lot of things come in our way, stand in our way of serving God. It may be some lust. It may be some pleasure. It may be some worldly entertainment. It may be some job, some career. It may be seeking after a dollar bill. But every born-again child of God, from time to time, you have things that get in your way. And Paul said, how shall we escape? There ain't nobody getting around this, saved or lost. Nobody's getting by. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Brother Mark, not the condemnation of God of being slammed in hell, but the consequences of sin in our lives. Because we neglected to stay close to God. We neglected to confess our sins and get them forgiven and get them under the blood. Because we neglected a relationship with a friend. Because we neglected the precious word of God. I've told you this over and over. God lets me. I may preach on this before long. But there's something about that word of God that the word of God says it's a cleansing agent. It washes. It cleans. And whether you are really feeling like you're getting anything out of it or not, you just open up the pages of God's book and put your nose in that book and read that, or you listen to that. I try to go to bed most nights either with that little old MP3 player or that little solar Bible and and headphones plugged in my ears. There's something about that that God just uses to rejuvenate a child of God and it does something in their heart preaching there's preaching messages i've heard over and over again brother james i could i could tell you everything he said there's a fellow called me from off from here somewhere the other day he said i've been listening to one of your preaching messages he said i i I could i could already tell you everything it says i've listened to it so many times why would somebody do that because it does something for their soul on the inside but i'm gonna tell you what we'll neglect those things brother mark we'll pay a price when we neglect so great salvation. That God gave his only begotten son. So that we could have fellowship and have a friend. We neglect that. Boy I sure wouldn't. Hey it'd be bad enough meeting God one day in judgment. And somehow saying Lord I really didn't know a whole lot about salvation. But buddy it's going to be something. 
you talk, you talk about a tragedy to go out of the walls of a fundamental Bible preaching Baptist church that told the truth of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Ghost and have to stand before God and God say, what's the matter? You didn't hear? Oh, don't tell me that. You just neglected it. And how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Heads bowed and eyes closed. God gave it. He paid price for it. It's free. All you got to do is come to Him with a willingness in your heart. You say, Preacher Mike, I got things in my life I can't give up. God don't require that you give them up. God requires that you be willing to give them up. God has to take them. God has to clean you. God has to do it. And if you show me any man, woman, boy, or girl that ever dies and goes to hell, I'll show you one that simply would not believe Jesus and let him do that. Oh, yeah. God gives faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's give you the word this morning. What's judgment coming one day? I sure want some of you to be able to miss the wrath of God. But it's going to be up to you. It's going to be up to you once God's given it to you. Don't you neglect it. You do something with it.